0: on the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors.
1: I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement podcast. I'm your host, Chris Flaming, And today, I have the great fortune and honor of interviewing Christina Florand. She brings a wealth of knowledge and insight to a topic we could all use some help with at some point in our lives mediation and conflict resolution outside of going to court. She helps to resolve disputes in a variety of areas, including divorce, child support, estates, parenting plans, insurance claims, and business conflicts. Christina, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Chris. It's great to be here.
1: I'm looking forward to it. So you have an interesting background. I would like you to first take us
2: through uh, your background and how you found your current career. Okay, so my background from an education standpoint is in psychology and criminology, but I just was ever since I was a little kid, you know, like I loved Scooby, you know, I love Scooby-Doo. I love the like, problem solving, like yeah. who done it kind of thing. And and so, I mean, and even as a child, like my favorite shows were Murder She Wrote and I'm probably aging myself, and Matlock. Okay. <laughs> I would watch them <laughs> and I loved them. I just I loved the legal system. I loved yeah. the psychology behind the who done it. And so I think that just kind of has always been with me. And even though I've done other things in my career path, this is, you know, where I've landed for the last 10 or so years because it just really kind of speaks to who I am as a person. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I like Scooby-Doo too. I was kind of <laughs> that. that.
1: So Even there... if you're
2: not into solving the mystery, there's still right. great characters.
1: Yeah, right? you still get the entertainment out of it. So um, for people that might not know, what do you think is a simple way to describe or explain when or why people should consider
2: mediation instead of using like the court system? Okay so mean there's nothing wrong with using the court system it's just that it's extraordinarily formal mm-hmm. and so if somebody isn't well versed in it they could end up doing harm to their case instead of good whereas mediation is a very opposite of that and it's a very informal setting and you don't have to know the rules of procedure and the courtroom and so it gives people an opportunity to resolve the conflict that they find themselves in and and we often do you know we try to work things out amongst ourselves for as long as we possibly can and and when it doesn't resolve things tend to escalate so prior to it escalating mediation is a really nice option to to resolve the conflict when you're just going round and round and round and round with somebody regardless of what the subject matter is
1: right that makes a lot of sense so Along those same lines, what do you think would be a big misconception that people might have about your line of work or the industry?
2: I think I don't even know that there are a ton of misconceptions so much as I don't know that people realize it's even out there. Oh,
1: yeah, That's true.
2: I think that's kind of the biggie is people don't realize that they can actually call on a mediator to help them resolve a conflict with or without getting an attorney involved most cases if they do go to the court are going to end up being ordered to mediation by the court anyhow because the court often wants you to attempt to resolve the issue yourselves prior to a ruling so i think that's probably a big misconception is maybe that the court is going to rule On something straight away, and they usually don't. They almost always will order you to mediation to see if you can, you know, to give you the opportunity to see if you can't resolve it yourself with a neutral third party. Right. So that's probably a big misconception. Or just realizing prior to even getting to the state of filing anything that you can attempt mediation before Mm -hmm. that. I think you're right. I think people don't, they
1: don't even know or aware that it's around or that it's available. And it's a a really good option. Well, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's. It is a good option. Is there something that you wish you would have known when you started out that you know now?
2: Nothing that like kind of comes to mind straight away because I think prior to jumping into this field, because I tend to be kind of a researchery okay. type of person, mm-hmm. I had a pretty good understanding of of what I was getting myself into, and I think I really didn't kind of seek out the field. It like sought me. (laughs) And so I think I already kind of had the skill set to do
1: what I do. And you you told me a really good story about how people had kind of encouraged you to get into it. So can you expand on that for a second?
2: Oh, of course, of course. So I guess, unbeknownst to me, I always have taken a very neutral stance and a more objective place in people's disputes you know so regardless of I would be maybe working with people and and a a conflict would arise in an office type setting and I guess I was pretty quick to kind of see where the problem was and then start to address it with the one person you know what sounds like this is you know the part that really bothers you about this and you know I think you know it sounds like this is the part that's really bothering you about this and was just able to very quickly kind of pick up on Obviously, once the emotions get in, I think sometimes yeah. solution starts to kind of fade into the background. And so right. I had somebody say to me once, like, you should be a mediator. And I'm like, is that something? Like, yeah, that? Right. Does that exist? Right. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a job. Yeah, um, right. But then it kind of like stuck with me. And years down the road, when I was finding my own self in kind of a transition spot, I thought, maybe I should like look into that. And, and that was, there we yeah. go.
1: <laughs> like a lot of things in America, you can, if you don't know about it, you could create it or maybe it does exist. Yeah. yeah so is there, uh, I, I'm curious what you like best about your business right now or your profession? What do you like best right now?
2: You know what I, what I really love, not just about this profession, but just life in general is helping people to empower themselves to make their choices. Mm. So when we put things into somebody else's hands, you know, sometimes we regret like how that came out. Yeah. So I feel like as a mediator, I can really help people to stay in control of the outcome. Mm -hmm. Always in mediation, and you'll hear people say this all the time, nobody wins and nobody loses. And if you walk out of mediation just a little bit peed off, like it probably went well. (laughs) So it isn't like a perfect science and sometimes you do have to kind of let go of certain things mm-hmm. in order to achieve others. But I think that the the point of it, of it being your case and not necessarily like a case that's being led by a judge or led by an attorney, it just makes people feel better about mm-hmm. the whole thing. I think mm-hmm. they learn from it, you know, mm-hmm. I think it can be a real process of like, oh, it kind of, kind of demystifies the court yeah. system a bit and that it's like, oh, I didn't even realize like I could resolve this this way. And then it's done. You know, they don't have to proceed on with like a court hearing or anything, which is really nice for people. And from a lawyer standpoint, I know sometimes I have parties who end up coming to me that are getting divorced and they've worked with attorneys and they didn't feel like they got to where they wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And then they'll end up bringing the case pro se, meaning without attorneys to a mediator. And I ask them about the process because I'm curious. So I say, how did this feel to you? Like, did you feel more hands on? And they're like, yeah, yeah, this was totally different. Like, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was kind of being spoken for, instead of being the speaker, whereas like in a mediation process, like it's just them sometimes and just me. And so, you know, they're just muddling their way through it, but I'm there to kind of help them put onto paper.
1: So they're able, you're leading them through it, they're still empowered to make the decisions, but you're, taking that leadership role and walking them through. I find that to be true too where people have misperceptions about what a financial advisor is going to do. Like, I'm just going to tell you what to do. You have no say. And this is the way it's going to be where when they go through it with us, they find, hey, this is much more consultative. I have control over this. Chris is leading me through it. But at the same time, I'm still making the decisions and and feel confident about the direction I'm going. So, I'm curious, all the different areas of mediation that you can help with, which one of those do you feel like is the most overlooked? So what I mean by that is somebody might say, oh, I didn't realize that you could use mediation for that.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. So I think Now with divorce mediation, that one's pretty out there. Like people are starting to realize words out on that one. I think the one that I would say probably is overlooked still is just real simple contract writing. I mean, and people can write them in and amongst themselves and they do it all the time. Like, hey, okay, like let's get into doing this or let's get into doing that and we can write a contract. But if you're trying to do that and you're still at odds, that's a good time to like bring a mediator in and just kind of work out those last few details of your contract that you're writing, I I think that one's overlooked probably the most.
1: And when someone initially sits down with you, I'm sure you go through and ask them a lot of questions and and try to uh, find out as much as you can. Are there some common fears or concerns that people generally share with you about sitting down with someone like yourself for mediation?
2: Yeah, I I think the biggest, I do a lot of family mediation. So you'll find that like a lot of my a lot of my comments go back to that. But I think a lot of the fear is just that once it gets in front of a judge, say it's a yeah. debate, court order, the judge is going to undo it. And I think that's a big fear and, and I get it and mm-hmm. it makes sense. And I mean, the fact of the matter is they, can. I mean, they yeah. can do whatever they want. So it's a legitimate, you know, concern. I don't think it's worth fearing, mm-hmm. but it's a legitimate concern. But for the most part, if I'm doing my job properly, and I make sure that there's not this kind of unequal balance yeah. in paperwork, right. then they really don't. They don't like, yeah. look at it and scrutinize it and say, oh, no, like, this doesn't make sense. You can't mm-hmm. do this. So I think that's like a big fear or you know, maybe a misconception that people ask me that a lot.
1: I could see that because everyone generally is intimidated by the legal system. Right. Yeah. They think going. I mean, going to court's like a big deal. They haven't been there, and so there, it's easy to get intimidated by it with all the pomp and circumstance and everything that takes takes place. Okay. So, can you think of a recent client experience um, that was really satisfying for you? So, problems they came in with, obviously without sharing details or names, Mm -hmm. and what were they trying to do? What were they trying to accomplish? And how were you able to help them or improve their situation? So they walked away you know much better than what they were when they came in
2: well so in all my mediations i obviously like you know we hope for like an outcome of of signing a yeah. contract and more often than not i would say that happens and even mm-hmm. when or if it doesn't it is and i usually am in agreement that it's like yeah you, you know i think you know if you're uncomfortable signing right. something yeah. some time or take it and show it to somebody or You know, we can, I think one thing people don't realize you can do also is you can do what's called a continuation or a continue, Mm. and you can actually essentially like pause. Now, that said, parties are not supposed to be breaking confidentiality at that point, but it's done in in an effort to kind of information gather, not to then like go and use that info against one another, but to to say hey listen i just want to get some guidance on this and maybe they talk to their financial expert or maybe they talk to mm-hmm. a tax person or something yeah. like that or an mm-hmm. attorney and they just have somebody look over it before signing um and so you can continue a mediation that way or you can like table a certain portion of it in mediations you can even bring in your financial advisor mm-hmm. and a lot of parties do that like when they're doing a, um, a family mediation yeah. and their assets involved yeah. they might a tax person, there's a whole thing of collaborative divorce now where, you know, Mm -hmm. there's one mediator and maybe one attorney and the attorney speaks to the legal issues and the financial advisor speaks to assets and the tax person to the, and there's sometimes even a mental health counselor in there Mm -hmm. as well. So I'm I'm trying to double back and remember what your exact question was. Well, I I think
1: what you said, which is the goal is always to get some kind of an agreement in place. Oh, the one is both parties. Case? Yeah, they feel like that they got a solution and then that can, that can
2: move forward with their lives. I, I mean, it happens kind of almost in all of my mediations. Mm-hmm. And I think, I guess what I feel like is really satisfying for people is just that sometimes when they're going back and forth and back and forth with attorneys, it just becomes so daunting and so yeah. exhausting yeah. that they almost just give up, or they right. look at the money that they look at the money that they've yeah. spent on it, right. and they're like, "I have spent more time fighting about this mm-hmm. than it even would have come." Yeah. And so then it becomes frustrating. Whereas if you just can resolve it in mediation, it, mm-hmm. the cost is just can be brought down substantially, and it can be resolved so much faster because it's yeah. not like a telephone game, right? I mean, so I find I get a ton of satisfaction out of it. Maybe I just take it for granted because I'm so used to like them all coming together because Mm -hmm. like I try to be really clear with people when I get on the phone with the parties prior to that this is their mediation and they know like this is for them to resolve it, not for me to resolve it. I'm just there to help. And so they're kind of coming in with that like good faith mindset that they're going to come to a a conclusion on it. Mm -hmm. So
1: that's really well said, really well said. I want to shift gears a little bit, uh, ask you some a, a different question. So can you think of a first memory or experience that you had with money? So growing up, it could be in the household or, you know, maybe when you were a teenager or maybe when you left home, do you have a first memory or experience with money? I
2: mean, I know I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you realize that? <laughs> I think I mean like that would be like really one early. probably my first memory is probably I mean I remember oh gosh. Okay, this will be kind of probably a funny story for you. So yeah. I always loved having the money to buy things, right? Yeah. So like I remember like having change and uh-huh. going into a convenience store. Right. I mean this is just like a little kid, maybe yeah. like a second grader right. or so. And like being able to kind of peruse the little like five cent gums and, yeah. and pick what I wanted and like have money to purchase it. You know, I guess for me, and I remember as like a teenage girl, like my friend and I, quite honest, I mean, I would get money probably from like grades and my grandparents for a birthday or something. So, you know, occasionally I'd have money sitting around. I wasn't really so cognizant of like an account of any sort. Right. Right. But if I had it, like, you know, my friend and I, we would go and walk over to like Walmart or Mm -hmm. Target or whatever was over there. And we'd shop, you know, we'd shop for little lotions or perfumes or makeup right. or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I just, I loved that. So I don't know if I have any real, like, I've substanti- I know i yeah. I've always been good with my, you know, right. but I also have liked it. And I've liked to have, I think it gives you options, right? Yeah. Like, right. and I think that's what I liked. I liked it mm-hmm. and have it say, Oh, I can do this with her. I can do that with it. And I've really mm-hmm. kind of even taught my daughter that, you know, like mm-hmm. she, Oh, ever since she was little, has always generated her own money yeah. with the thought of if we're in a store and I don't want to buy something for her, I would say to her, you know, well, I'm not gonna buy this for you, but if you'd like to buy it with your own money, you're certainly welcome to. Yeah. And she had to then like stop and think, you know, well, how yeah. important was that to her? How what did mm-hmm. it mean? Or was it worth? the money. Mm -hmm. I think that's just a really good lesson for kids to learn early on. So I must have had some also some money at my disposal to make those same decisions. And so I thought that that was important for her to have that as well.
1: So along those same lines, do you have any experiences that you can think of either in your business working with people or personally that maybe that maybe made you keenly aware of the either positive or negative effect that money can have? So like probably in mediations, are you running into a lot of potentially negative effects um, with disputes?
2: Uh, money. That's well, correct. <laughs> I can tell you it is a fascinating thing. I mean, it's not a positively fascinating thing, but it is a fascinating thing how when people's romantic relationships fall apart, mm-hmm. we grasp to the security of mm. the money. And a lot of these cases end up Almost always coming down to some sort of money. You know, I don't know why we attach when something has gone wrong or someone has done something. I mean, we're a very litigious society, let's face it. So that's, I feel like, our way of somebody feeling like they've made justice has been served, right? Right. 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 There's been this monetary exchange of some sort for a wrong that's been done. As it relates to me personally, is there anything that I feel like was a positive or a negative? I do uh, I mean, I feel fortunate, and then I feel like I've always had like a very positive, mm-hmm. good relationship. Mm-hmm. Not that I've always had as much of it as I've wanted, and it's there. That right. it have been tight, but I'm good with it. I'm good at managing. Mm-hmm. So,
1: I think what you said there about that's how people seek justice when you think something's gone wrong. I think that's very insightful. Um, I see that happening a lot of times when I'm dealing with couples that are splitting up where that's the biggest part of contention and, you know, where it can get really nasty, you know, in those cases. So I think that's a great response. And that's also a very insightful conclusion on just humans in general, um, that, that's, that that's what occurs.
2: Right. Well, money gives us a sense of security, mm-hmm. but our relationships do first and foremost. I think when an important relationship stops giving you the security that you really needed, I think our next go-to is like, okay, well, money gives me security. Yeah. So I've now lost that sense of stability that mm-hmm. I had with this relationship. Now kind of let me see what I can do to manage the money part of it. No right, right or wrong there. Just, right. I think it's a, just a very natural human nature thing yeah. that we, I'm, I'm yeah. even probably like without realizing we're doing it, right. but it definitely think it ties to the emotion of the security in the relationship being lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's
1: lighten things up a little bit. If you, <laughs> if you were given the time and the opportunity, what do you think is something worth splurging on?
2: For me, it's travel hands down. Okay. 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 I, mean, I love to travel. I will travel and spend Thousands of dollars traveling before I would spend a hundred dollars on a shirt
1: so is it the experience is that what it is? Is it the going to the other destination is it yeah
2: it's the ex- it's lots of things for one, it is to me it's the sharing of a memory with okay. somebody be it mm-hmm. if i'm just going on by myself or if i'm going with somebody and you know I can't really like woo-woo about it and I usually will bring like a candle along just because okay. I know how Like when you burn something or you smell a smell or you have flowers or something, how it attaches and then smell that again. And you remember the trip or whatever it was. So, um, I just love it. I love to, travel. I love to see how other people live their lives. I just think it's fascinating. I've, I've always been fascinated by people, hence the degree in psychology. Yeah. And my, mine's psychology, criminology. But I just love to see how other people are doing it. Yeah. Because I think we, there isn't just one way of doing it. And what is normal in one area can be completely abnormal in another. And I find that really fascinating that we get yeah. like latched on to right. a certain thing. So I just yeah. love to see what other people are doing. Yeah. We know? have
1: those blinders on and we think the whole world operates that way right? Yeah. Or that's just how we do it maybe in our area or in, the, in our country. So number one place you've been, where was that?
2: I really enjoyed my trip to Thailand, but I've been to so many really, really great and cool places. And do you
1: have, what's your one that you really need to get to that you haven't been able to yet? India. India. Okay. So I'm or curious. Greece. Or Greece. Thigh. Okay. Or, it's a, th- <laughs> it's a th- <laughs> Um, so in your opinion, what do you think is probably your biggest life accomplishment so far? So this could be either personally or professionally, but it doesn't have to be both. So biggest life accomplishment.
2: Okay, let's see. I think being a parent is a huge life yeah. accomplishment that my child's right. still alive yeah, and seemingly okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> the jury's still yeah. out on that one. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I might be like, damn, that podcast, like right, <laughs> I right. said that and now she's yeah. a mess. Because, you know, it really like, it's ha- it's hard mm-hmm. and you really have like kind of this mirror facing back at you of like, why am I getting mad about that? Or like, yeah. it's just, I think it's an extraordinarily insightful experience because I'm not like a real dictator-y type of a person of this is the way you're doing it it has lent itself to really like forcing me um so that's and it's a, a personal accomplishment yeah. even though i can't say i'm accomplished i right. haven't accomplished it yeah. um my daughter's just entering high school and right now if if you ask her i'm i'm stinking it up like right. totally so right like, like all 15 year olds <laughs> exactly so i mean that's an accomplishment but i think just uh, getting through my own divorce and kind of mm. landing back on my feet you know mm. that like an accomplishment, um, just kind of putting those pieces back together and knowing that I had what I needed inside yeah. of the support system around me to like rebuild and now to like just build this fabulous business and to be, yeah. you know, chatting with people like you. And I teach a course for the Women's Resource Center to, to help people. And I it's, it's just kind of been one gift after another and one accomplishment after another that I have been, you know, just fortunate to have had the courage to pursue.
1: So- You brought up that Women's Resource Center project. Talk about that just a little bit. Kind of explain on a high level what that is, what that entails.
2: So years and years ago, I was on a board of directors for a nonprofit for children for social and emotional wellness. And while I was on it, I met this really fantastic woman that was similar in wanting to kind of like pay it forward, if you will, or do something good for people in the community. And so just in chatting, like we said, well, what if we put this program together? And so we did. And then it's like, well, who are we gonna, de- who are we gonna right. teach this to? And we're like, hey, well, they might have a good audience for it. Yeah. And so basically it's like an eight-week empowerment course. And we were fortunate enough to have the Women's Resource Center pick it up and it's called You Are Worthy, Learning to Raise Your Own Bar. And we usually teach it, it's like an eight week mm-hmm. workshop. We teach it um, twice a year for the Women's Resource Center, usually once a year for either Family Promise or our mother's house. And uh, it's just been a really cool opportunity to have put something like that together. And I like to do program development. I uh, developed another program called CMAX, which is Conflict Management, Avoidance, and Coping Skills, and was lucky enough to teach that in the school system for a little bit. Mm. But I just, I think that you know when you have information and you think that it can help people and somebody's willing to like pick it up and let you teach it you know like if you have got good information i think it's worth like sharing i mean people have taught me things have been i just i'm kind of like an information gatherer like i said you go back to the scooby-doo thing and it's like (laughs) it's like picking up all the little pieces and like what can we do with this well and that's how we all grow
1: Right. So if you weren't doing what you are doing now, what would Christina
2: be doing? You know,
1: did you have something growing up like I wanted to be that or I wish I, I, I would
2: have I have to that. say like I so I, I used to be a um a dental hygienist, okay. but ever since I was a little kid, I was really into teeth, really into teeth. Okay. <laughs> and I was really into psychology and the legal system. Okay. So I kind of have like I right. have live, lived my dreams. And I actually was fortunate enough to, I had a friend that worked for um, a millionaire, billionaire, I don't know what he is, that had like planes because I love to travel. He actually, uh, she was his flight attendant. So I got to like flight attend on private jets. I mean, so I really have done like so many of the things that I've wanted to do. Um, I was fortunate to run a business with my now ex husband, but I never thought, I never thought I'd be like a business owner, you know, and that was a cool experience and learning about that. And we flipped a couple properties, you built a couple homes and, mm-hmm. you know, so I've done a lot of really interesting things that, and I guess I just get to a point where it's like, okay, what would be the next big thing? So if I weren't doing this, I mean, this is really kind of me living my dream right now. Yeah. Uh, maybe I would be doing some like life coaching or something mm-hmm. for people you know that would probably be the next thing of just helping people to reach their dreams you know and showing them what you need to do and what that looks like how do you achieve that and i think because i have kind of figured that out i could you know it's like anything it's like you did the hard work you figured it out now like you can show somebody else how to replicate it
1: so is there what in respect to your industry is there things change a lot right things are always changing laws change so how do you stay kind of on the cutting edge in your field? Is there something you follow or read regularly? How do you stay up
2: on all those changes? Because I am not coming at this from being an attorney. Right. For me and in mediation, and I will tell you this, and this might be also a thing that people don't understand about mediating. So we we work for this. I work for the Florida Supreme Court. So, I have to be certified with the Florida Supreme Court and so I answer to them essentially and I have a board that looks over me to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing ethically. So when I enter into a mediation, we have to do as mediators, give an opening statement and part of that opening statement is that we are neutral parties Mm. and we cannot give any legal advice. So as it pertains to how things are changing legally, it is simply not a lane that I step in. it is yeah. not my lane to step in right so if parties want that and sometimes they do when they 're talking to me, they have a lot of legal questions. I have such a wonderful plethora of attorneys at my mm. you know disposal, a whole Excel list of attorneys that do different things that and I do free consultations i 'll do like yeah. a thirty free consultation with anybody on whatever they think it is. And if I can't help them, I will point them in a direction to talk to somebody who okay. can. And sometimes yeah. that person is an attorney. People need legal advice. Mm-hmm. I'm simply the like dispute helper to solve. You know, right. so legal aspect doesn't really play into mm-hmm. it too, too much.
1: And having those resources, those people on your team—not necessarily that work in your practice or for you—but having those is invaluable. Um, I find that a lot of times when people need that type of help, having that network of people that you can trust and refer people to and oversee that whole process is that's a big deal because then they feel like that they're taken care of. Right.
2: Yeah. And because I can't help everybody that mm-hmm. the interesting nature of mediation, and this might be one thing people also don't understand is that both people have to want to mediate. Both parties don't want to mediate. There is no mediation. Now right. I'm t- thing if your court ordered to it, this might be another thing people don't realize, if your court ordered to a mediation, you have to show up by yeah. court. and But you don't have to stay and mediate. If your end goal is get in front of the judge, but the judge has ordered you to mediation, you're required to show up. As the mediator, I'm required to, sh- to send to the court, these are the people that showed yeah. up at the mediation. But the court does not get to hear what happened in that yeah. mediation good or bad. They don't get yeah. to hear it. They just yeah. have to know these are the parties that showed up. Yeah. And so if you showed up, but there was no agreement reached, then I just file that there was an impasse or no agreement. And it goes to the court that way. Mm. So, So people still have that option. But if they're not both willing to mediate, there is no mediation.
1: You have to have two willing, like a lot of things in life, you have to have two willing parties on the two yeah. sides. Yeah. So what do you think is the biggest challenge in your business right now for
3: you? I
2: think the biggest challenge for me is when I'm contacted by, and you can imagine this happens like, right, this is again, human nature. When I'm contacted by one party and they want to mediate, well, by the time I'm trying to figure out, well, how best to reach out to this other party because that other party is gonna like be under the assumption that I'm no longer neutral because mm-hmm. the other person found me first, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's like the biggest challenge for me is mm-hmm. to help keep everything. I try really, really hard to like keep everything as transparent as possible mm-hmm. between parties, and uh, because I think that's the toughie is mm-hmm. you know, you're a neutral person, but yet this person found you first. And now if we want to like bring this other person, how are they going to feel about it? And are they going to feel like they're already on, you know, a losing end, though it's there isn't a losing end. It's not my mediation. It's there. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, I could see that. Have you ever been in a group of people? There's a doctor there and then everybody starts asking the doctor medical questions. Yeah, I'm sure I have. Okay, so I'm going to do
2: that. I've held that memory tight, but I'm sure I've been in that situation. I'm (laughs) I'm sure I've been one of the people asking the questions.
1: Yeah, now I'm going to do that to you. So, if you could give us one piece of advice on resolving
2: conflict in our own lives, what would that be? That advice would be seek first to understand, not to be understood. Yes, I've heard that before. Yeah, it's big because when you're in a dispute, the biggest issue I think that there is, is that the person needs to know that you get it, mm-hmm. right? I was mm-hmm. just in the this week, and these two parties were just kind of going at it. And the, they just needed to know that they were heard. Because yeah. sometimes people will explain and explain and explain and explain, and they're explaining because the person doesn't agree with them, and they're thinking, oh, you don't agree, you must not get it. And then the other party is like explaining and explaining and explaining and explaining, you're not agreeing with me, so you must not get it. Get it. And so often as the mediator, I then kind of have them stop talking to each other, just talk to me, assure them that I get it, and talk to the other, assure them that I get their vantage point, and then say, you guys don't agree. You're not going to, he's not willing to do that. She's not willing to do that and then it kind of becomes well whose issue is it right like who's mm-hmm. the one that has to have that and why right. Right. and then starting to kind of tease apart like what are the other options for you if, if this person right. doesn't agree with you and they're not willing to come to your side yeah. or perhaps not even willing to come to the middle what are your other options and i, I think that answered your question it
1: did and i think <laughs> okay. in a nu- I think in a nutshell you'd probably just describe like the heart of what you do you know, is trying to take the emotion out of it the best you can and come to some kind of an agreement. Do you feel like there's a question I should have asked you? Or is there anything you'd like to expand on from what you said earlier that you can think of?
2: I think that what you asked at the very end here is just a really important point of like, what do you think for resolving conflicts? Like, what is the best thing that people can do? And so I just Mm -hmm. want to kind of reiterate that again, that when You are more interested in understanding why something is important to somebody else Mm. and why it is bothersome to them that Mm. they, if, when you understand why, and it's not about you, but just understand what their needs are, it makes a much clearer picture. And then I think, so if you're seeking to understand and you're asking them questions like, Why does that matter? Or Hmm. what, ideally, what would it look like to you? What would be the solution that you would like to see? When you kind of stop feeling defensive and start just opening it up to like understanding why this person has a problem with it and helping to see if you can resolve it, that I think is just, that's the key. So instead of wanting to say, well, but this is what I want and this is what I want and this is why this is what I want. If you can change that and flip it and try to understand why it is what they want, that's the starting point yeah. of getting to the other side.
1: Isn't that so true that we, you know, people might be a certain way and a lot of times we have this thought running through our head, like, well, that's not the way I am. Why don't they just act like me or why aren't they like me? Because that's the way that I would do it. Right. This but the we way I understand. Yeah. So we take clients through a process before I give them any recommendations. We go through any numbers or any financial information Discovering one what their values are, the five most important things in their life, and then secondly, everyone has a wealth language, um, and I won't go into that. But everyone has a wealth language, so we try to discover what their wealth language is. That gives us insight into how they make decisions, and then a framework for how they can move forward with things that they have to do. So, did.
2: I said, I need to interview you?
1: Yeah, I'm well, talk
2: about. <laughs> the, the financial love languages no, I
1: didn't say love language I said I know you did
2: it I know yeah. you didn't but that's like what went off in my head right. it's like it's the money languages that. I think it's based on that why not right it already worked once why right well, so,
1: Christina if people want to learn more about you or contact you what's the best way for them to do that
2: so there's three really great ways to get in touch with me so you okay. can go to my phone number which is nine four one Two two eight eight one five zero, And you can text me, you can call me, leave a message, or you can go to my website, which is www.florandmediation.com. And that has all my contact information. You can set up an appointment, do your free consultation and try to set that appointment up through that. And I'll get back to you. Or you can email me, which is Chris and not spelled like yours, but C-H-R-I-S at florandmediation.com. those are the best ways to get in touch with me.
1: So Christina, can I just say it was really a pleasure and it was really my honor to interview you for the show. And we've been here with Christina Floran, mediator extraordinaire. Thank you all for tuning in to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we bring the confidence of people on the road of retirement just like you to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for having me, Chris.
2: It's been a pleasure. You're welcome. It was my pleasure.
0: You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.